0: Good morning, everybody. Again, let me welcome you to Trinity. We're glad you're here as we are in the fourth week of this series that we've been calling The Gospel at Work. Now, uh, I want to start by telling you a story from Mark Twain's autobiography. He was talking about a time when he and a group of his friends uh, were kind of out in the wilderness and they were heading to Carson City, Nevada. But the problem was there was a big snowstorm just beginning. And they were really worried that once they got out into uh, that snowstorm, they would never find their way. Uh, But one of the guys in the group said, no, I can get us there. I I, I know I can get us there. It doesn't matter how much it snows. I've kind of got this internal compass. I know I can get us there. And so they believed him, and they set out. Now they had been traveling for about an hour when they came across a group of uh, tracks heading in about the same general direction they were. And he was like, see, I told you guys, these people are heading to Carson City too and uh, we're on the right track and we just got to follow these tracks, we're going to be set. And, uh, and so they traveled for about an hour following those tracks and then they noticed, wow, look, here, there's another group of people that, that joined up with the tracks at this point. Uh, we're, we're really on the right track. And they traveled for about another hour and they went, whoa, look, here's another group of people joining up and they went, wait a minute. These are our tracks. They had been going in circles for hours. Now, you've probably heard stories like that, right? Someone gets lost in the wilderness and they think they're just walking straight to walk out and then they just go in a big circle. Actually, that's a thing. It's called lost hiker deja vu. And uh, scientists have studied this and here's what they found. If you are out in the wilderness and you don't have a point of reference, like mountains in the distance or or, uh, the sun in the sky or the stars at night, if if you don't have a point of reference, you will walk in a circle. Every human being does it. It's almost impossible to stay walking in a straight line if you don't have one of these and uh, And that image I think is really important for us as we continue this series on work. you know we're talking about whatever you do. For work, and that means maybe what you do for a living, that job that you go to, that you'll go to tomorrow morning, or uh, maybe you work at home and that's your work, or maybe you're retired, but you still have work to do. We say it all the time. If you have a pulse, you have a purpose, and so you have work to do, even if you're retired. So whatever that work is you do, we've been looking at how your work is really part of something much bigger, but, but the reality is, how do you know you're doing it right? How do you know you're really working for the Lord? How do you know you're, you're on the right track? And the fact is, we need a compass to help us with that, and we're going to talk about that today. Now, I thought Tony used a great illustration last week, and if you missed it, let me just, uh, let me just give you a little recap of it. He said, imagine that there are three people all working on this rock pile with sledgehammers, breaking big rocks into small rocks. And you ask the first guy, what are you doing? And he goes, duh, I'm breaking big rocks into smaller rocks, right? And you ask the second guy, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm making a living. And you ask the third guy, what are you doing? He says, I'm building a cathedral. You know, each one has a different respect, perspective. They're all doing the same job, but, but one of them is just focused on the task. The other is focused on selfishly making a living for himself. But the third one recognizes that he's part of something bigger. And we've been talking about in this series how when we work, it doesn't matter what work it is you do, you are joining God in the work that he is doing, that creative and sustaining God. You are part of God's work if you just are willing to see it that way. But here's the question, is that enough to help make sure you do it right? And I would argue it's not. And and in fact, the Bible gives us three different compass points, if you will, that we can use when we work to make sure we're on the right track. And so I'm going to spend the rest of the time with you this morning just looking at these three compass points. And and they are, first of all, God gives us this gift of wisdom to help us do the right thing at work. Uh, God reminds us who our audience is, who are we really working for And finally, God calls us to put love in the center of everything we do, including our work. So let's look at these three together. Let's let's start with wisdom. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says this. It says, be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but wise. In other words, Paul is saying that we should make sure that we are being careful to live with wisdom. But what is wisdom exactly? Well, I love this, uh, this way of looking at wisdom. This is from uh, Tim Keller's book that we've used as kind of the basis for this series. He says this, he says, wisdom is more than just obeying God's ethical norms. It is knowing the right thing to do in the 80% of life situations in which the moral rules don't provide a clear answer. In other words, what Keller is saying is, sometimes it's easy to know to do the right thing. You know, your boss comes to you and says, look, the numbers for the last quarter really look bad. They're going to make you look bad. They're going to make me look bad. Let's fudge the numbers. Now, you know that's wrong, right? That's pretty black and white. It's pretty clear that that's not the right thing to do. But what about all those times when it's just not that clear? When, uh, when you've got a decision to make it work or you've got to work in a certain way, and, and, and it's, it's not black and white. It's kind of gray, How do you know you're doing the right thing, the God-pleasing thing? Well, wisdom is the answer. And where does that wisdom come from? Well, first of all, it comes from your relationship with God. I love this question. Do you know about God or do you know God? You see, there are a lot of people that know a lot about God, you know, if there was a trivia contest, a Bible trivia contest, they would win. They, they know their Bible backwards and forwards. They can, vote chap, can quote chapter and verse all the time. They know all the facts. But the reality is they don't really know God at all. That's what that reading that we heard a little bit ago was talking about, but what the, the prophet was talking about. Isaiah, God through the prophet was saying, look, you try to do the right things and you say you do the right things and, and you profess to following me, but the reality is you don't know me. Because if you knew me, you'd know I don't want that stuff. That's not what's important to me. Folks, the more we get to know God personally, the the more we come to understand his will for our lives and for our work, the more we can know what to do. My uh, first few years, I was a teacher. I was a Lutheran school teacher, and uh, I had a principal. His name was Walt Rittmiller. And and, and Ritt, he was just a great man of God. And uh, he was just really wise and, and, uh, and kept on the, the right path. And the more I got to know him, the more time I spent with him, the more I got to understand what it was that motivated him and drove him. And still to this day, there will be times when I'll be faced with something and I'll go, what would Rit do? That's what, it, that's what it's supposed to be like for us with our God. We're supposed to get to know our Heavenly Father so well that we, we know what to do in those gray situations because we know him. Now, by the way, just a little uh, pitch, Tony mentioned this before, make sure you get your Red Letter Challenge book, because in just a couple of weeks, we're going to begin 40 days of reading and studying and learning about the words of Jesus and what Jesus has to say for our lives. And folks, that's how we get to know God better, by being in his word, by, by wrestling with his word you're gonna have a chance to, to every day for 40 days read through something that Jesus had to say about our lives and take a challenge. Can you, can you live that out in your life? And the more we do that together, the more we get to know Jesus. And like Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's how we get to know God. So wisdom is all about knowing God, but it's more than that. It's also about knowing yourself. And, and you can only truly come to know yourself well when you are willing to see yourself through God's eyes. Because if we just look in the mirror on our own, our perspective is going to be warped. But as we study God's word and what God has to say about us, as we start to see ourselves through God's eyes, first of all, we learn that we are loved. We learn that we are forgiven. We learn that God has molded and shaped us to be his masterpieces. And then we learn that that God loves us unconditionally, and that means something even more. That means that we can make mistakes, that we can fail, and it's not fatal. If uh, if you think your success depends solely on you, it cripples you at work, doesn't it? Because it, every every decision, it, this could be a career-ending mistake, right? But your success doesn't depend on you. It, it rests in God's hands, and so we we can we can try, and we can fail. Knowing that again, those failures will not be fatal, that God is going to give us another chance, that God is going to carry us through. And that brings wisdom in our lives. So, wisdom is one compass point, but I said another one is understanding our audience, understanding who it is we are actually working for. Are you working for your boss? Are are you working for your coworkers? Are, Are you working for the owner of the company? Are you even working for your family? The Bible says something else. Colossians 3 says this. Whatever you do, do it with all your heart as for the Lord and not for man. See, the reality is, when you think about your work, there's only one person's opinion about your work that matters, and it's not your boss, it's not your co-worker, it's your Lord. I love this example from the Old Testament. It's one that, that I go to a lot. It's, it's this guy named Hiram of Tyre. Have you heard of him? When King Solomon was building his temple there in Jerusalem, he hired this guy named Hiram from Tyre to to do a specific task for him. It says, King Solomon sent and brought Hiram from Tyre. He was full of wisdom, understanding, and skill for making any work in bronze. Solomon hired this bronze worker because he had a job for him. He wanted two massive pillars to be at the entrance to the temple, and he wanted Hiram to make those pillars. He wanted the first thing that people saw as they came to the temple to be kind of awe-inspiring. So as they came into God's presence, they came in with the right kind of attitude. And so we're told this, he made two bronze pillars, each one 27 feet tall, but then notice it says he also made two bronze capitals, which were seven and a half feet, and put them on top of the pillars. So we're talking almost 35 foot tall these pillars were when they were done. And it says that they were 18 feet around, meaning meaning the diameter is about six feet. So I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine you got out of your car in the parking lot this morning and you turned to walk to the building and they're right by the entrance were four stories tall, six feet, these two big bronze pillars. That'd be pretty impressive, wouldn't it? It'd be pretty awe inspiring. And uh, and so Hiram made these pillars, but we're, we're told even more. We're told about some of the details on these pillars. And first of all, it says that he made a lattice work around the top that looked like chain. So he very carefully carved this lattice work that looked like chain around the top of these pillars. And then even more, we're told above that lattice work, he carved pomegranates. Now, pomegranates were a symbol for life. And so he very carefully and meticulously carved these pomegranates around the top of the lattice. And we're, we're given even more detail. We're told how many he carved. It says, he made pomegranates in two rows around the lattice work to cover the capital that was on top of the pillar. There were 200 pomegranates in two rows all around. So between the two pillars, 400 pomegranates in total. Now, one, uh, how long do you think? Took him to make those. One, uh, one expert, one theologian I read said that, that they did a little calculating, and they believe it took him two years just to carve those pomegranates. So think about that. Every, every day for work for two years, he carved pomegranates. He got up in the morning, went to work, carved pomegranates all day, went back. Next day, did the same thing over and over again for two years to carve those 400 pomegranates. But here's the interesting thing. The Bible gives us one more detail about these pillars. It says the capitals were on the two pillars and also above the rounded projection which was beside the latticework. So near the top of these pillars, before you get to the capital, there was a rounded projection that the capital sat on top. And so that means the 400 pomegranates that Hiram took two years to carve were not visible from the ground. Nobody saw them except God. I want you to think about that for a minute. If it was me, I would have been tempted somewhere along those two years ago. well crud, I could just finish these things up quick. Nobody's gonna see them anyway, right? But God did. And Hiram knew who his audience was. It wasn't the people that are gonna be walking into the temple every day. It wasn't even his boss, Solomon. His audience was God. So do you work that way? How do you work when no one's watching? When no one will know? How do you work on those things at work that no one else cares about? Do you work as if you're working for the Lord? Do you let your audience be the thing that guides you to do your best, even on stuff that other people might not think really matters much at all? Back to that verse, I love what it literally says there. It says, whatever you do, do it with all your heart. Literally it says, do it with singleness of heart. In other words, your heart is in your work and it's focused on one thing, pleasing the God that created you, that gave you that chance to work. So finally, the last compass point that helps us in our work is this concept of love. One day, Jesus uh, was approached by a teacher of the law. Now, in Jesus' day, the religious leaders figured out that there were 613 laws to keep in the Bible, that that God wanted us to keep, 613 commandments, if you will. And, uh, and, and so the lawyer comes to Jesus and he says, hey, Jesus, of those 613, which commandment is the most important? He thinks it's a tricky question that he can kind of catch Jesus in. But Jesus doesn't really give him a straight answer. Jesus says this. He says, well, all those commandments can be summed up with two, and they're equally important. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says those two summarize it all. If you just do that, if you love God and love others, the rest will take care of itself. Love is supposed to be the ultimate compass point to guide us in our daily lives. I love this question. Ponder it for a minute with me, would you? Are your relationships at work a means to the end of accruing wealth? In other words, do you have a good relationship with your boss? Do you have a good relationship with your coworkers? Do you Do you make sure people like you because you know that'll help you be successful at work? Or is wealth creation a means to serve the end of loving others? In other words, do you work solely for the purpose of being able to show love to others? Now, why would we do that? Why is loving others such a big deal for Jesus and for God? Well, in the very beginning of the Bible, it says this. When God created human beings, it says he created them in his image That means every single person you meet, every single person in this room, every single person uh, that sits next to you on the bus or the train when you commute, every single person that sits in the cubicle across from you at work, every single person that you encounter every day is stamped with the image of God. They're created in God's image. Now I'm told that uh, Pastor Tony used this picture in his sermon last week. And he didn't just use this picture, but he did this to it. By the way, we are accepting applications for new site pastor here at uh, Trinity Green. now. But, but he was trying to make a point, and I think it's a good one, that, that we should see Jesus in everyone we encounter every day, right? Every single person is stamped with the image of God, and that's why it's kind of weird that we have what we call contact lists, right? You got it in your phone. All the people that are important to you in your life are in that phone, and they're called contacts, right? And uh, I, I remember hearing this story about a woman who uh, used to work in the business world and she had her contact list, you know, people to contact when she needed something or people to contact when she wanted to sell something or people to contact when she wanted to move a project forward, right? And uh, so she had her contact list, and, and, uh, but now she's got a new job. She's working at the church. And she's in a meeting with her pastor during that first week, and she says something about, well, I have eight, eight contacts that I want to deal with this week. And he stopped her, and he goes, he goes, Ruth, here at church, we don't call them contacts. We call them people. You know, when they're contacts, it's easy to think of them in a way that's helpful to you. But when they're people, you realize they're people created in God's image People that God has given us to love, and that love should guide how we do our work every single day. The Bible actually says the stakes are pretty high on this one, folks. In, in 1 John, John's first letter, he says this. He says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. In other words, John says, if you can't love the person that's right in front of you, how can you love God in heaven? Now, that's pretty frightening to me because I don't always love people the way I know I should. And does that really mean that, that I don't love God the way I think I should? Yeah, probably, right? We all fall short. And and that's why, by the way, the verse right before this verse is so important, this is verse 20, verse 19 says this, John first reminds us we love because he first loved us. In other words, God doesn't sit back and go, okay, Mark, Monday morning, you're going to head off to work. I want to see how you love people today, and at the end of the day, I'll tell you whether I love you or not. That's not how it works. Thank God. Thank God. Instead, we love others because God first loved us when we were unlovable. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The fact is, the love that I have for others doesn't have to like come from inside me somehow. It comes from God first, and it fills me, and then it overflows to others. I can't, on my own, love everyone, but God's love in me can love everyone and does and that love should be the compass for how we live our lives each day, how we work each day. Again, in that reading we heard before uh, the message today, that reading from Isaiah, God, God had a complaint for his people. Did you, did you hear it? If you were going to put it in modern terms, modern language, he would say this, look, you gather together to worship me every Sunday, and, and then you go out and you work during the week like everybody else does. God says, you, you, you gather together to worship and you, you, you sing great songs and beautiful music and you put your offering in the plate and you think that that's what makes you okay with me, but that's not, God says, that's not what I desire. What I desire is for you every day of your life to, to treat the people at work, to treat the people that you interact with every day with love and care and respect. And then there's this incredible promise at the end, did you notice? He says, when you do that, then your light will break forth like the dawn. Folks, we live in a world that seems filled with darkness sometimes, don't we? Man, every time you turn on the television and on the news, there's a, a shooting or a hurricane or some sort of tragedy happening in this world. It's a dark, difficult place. But you and I can be light in that darkness. When we have the right compass for our work, when when we understand that our work is part of God's work, it's part of something so much bigger than us, and when we uh, attack that work each day, uh, guided by God's wisdom that has come from our relationship with him and, and recognizing that what we do isn't for others, it's ultimately first for him. We have that audience of one. He's the only one whose opinion matters to us. And then when we let love, God's love that lives in us guide how we work each day, then we can be that light shining in the darkness. One more story to end the message today. Um, in 2009, there was an article in the New York Times, an op-ed piece written by uh, a woman who was reflecting on the financial crisis that our country was going through at that point. Do you remember this? I mean, our country had the, this you know, great depression and, and uh, just uh, the economy was in the tank and it was all because of, uh, of this debt stuff that had kind of crippled our economy. And and the lady was writing about a good friend of hers, and she didn't use her name because she didn't want to embarrass her. But, But here's what she was saying. She was saying, I know this person. She's a good person. She loves her family. She cares about people. She has tons of integrity. She would never think of doing anything that was illegal at work or anything like that. And she's incredibly generous. She makes a Great salary, and, and she gives a lot of money away. And she said, so I'm, I'm just, I can't figure out how she ended up in this position because, you see, her job was to securitize debt. So she was taking student loan debt and credit card debt and securitizing it and selling it and making tons of money on it. And it was one of the practices, quite frankly, that brought our economy down. And she and so this lady said, I don't understand how my friend, this good person, was doing this thing that was so harmful to our country. And she said, I I finally realized that that somehow she just and literally this is what she said, somewhere how she had lost her compass. She thought because it wasn't illegal and it was making her money, good enough, it was okay. It's not the compass, folks. Our God has a much higher standard than that for us. We're to use his wisdom, and we're to, to let love be the thing that ultimately guides how we do our work every day, never forgetting that our work is really part of his work.